0: Podcastle number 13 for June 24th, 2008. Spell of the Sparrow by Jim Hines. This is Erin Cashier, a friend of PodCastle. I'm a writer, I used to read slush for Escape pod back in the day, and I'm one of the guest hosts Rachel has threatened you with. So this week I'm sitting in my office after having read Jim Hines' fabulous short, Spell of the Sparrow, trying to have my synthesis moment. Usually after I read good things, I break them down to digest them. As a writer, I really can't help it. I try to crack the egg of the story open and look for things that I can steal. I mean, reuse, later. So I'm there thinking, and Paul, my boyfriend, comes in and turns on Oblivion. For those of you that aren't into fantasy role-playing games that could eat up your entire lives, well, Oblivion is one of those. We've just moved in together, and while things are going swimmingly, he wasn't exactly forthright about his computer game-playing habits ahead of time. Said boyfriend looks over on my screen between battles and sees this. Am I really your go-to on this? I don't want to be that guy. Honey, you are that guy, I tell him. And then I close my eyes and try to ignore his quest while I mull on this week's story. Let's see. Notes of maternal-paternal instincts, quirky fantasy setting, awesome ghost cat. Oh, yes. I should write something with a ghost cat. This bodes ill, says Paul to my right. I peek and I see his character being lowered in a cage into a vat of lava. I make one of those sighing noises that girls can be good at if they try hard enough, close my eyes again, and keep thinking. familial loyalty, trust quick thinking, and a lot of good humor. Come on, bring it! He shouts at the screen. I peek again. He's being attacked by a storm something or other. I bite my lip and continue on. And probably the best lesson I can take away from Jim's story is the ability to tolerate an untenable situation for the greater good. At least until you can figure out how to get your way out of the spell. Now if only Oblivion didn't have expansion packs. Jim C. Hines has been committing fantasy for 12 years so far and shows no signs of stopping. He lives in Michigan with his wife and two children, along with three dogs, 2.75 cats, and a fluctuating number of fish. His favorite writer is Snoopy. The final book in the Goblin trilogy, Goblin War, came out in March of this year. Information and previews of all three Goblin books are at jimchines.com, and he also has a blog at jimhines.livejournal.com. Spell of the Sparrow was first printed in Sword and Sorcerer's 21 in 2004. And Spell of the Sparrow is a sequel to his story Blade of the Bunny, which appeared in Writers of the Future 15. Tina Connolly is an actor and writer in Portland, Oregon. Her stories have appeared in Heliotrope and GUD Magazine. Her website is tinaconnolly.com. Spell of the Sparrow
1: by Jim C. Hines. Growing up, I had imagined my life would be full of danger, excitement, and fabulous riches. I wound up with two out of the three. A family of two ex-thieves, a prepubescent wizard, and a dead cat stirred up a bit more excitement than I wanted these days. As for trouble, it seemed to find us as easily as a bloodhound, even at our small cottage in Larendale. I was in the woods behind our cabin, trying yet again to dissuade my daughter from this wizarding business. I like magic, Mel protested, and I'm good at it. Remember the spell I made up last week? The spell that changed my daggers into caterpillars? James and I were still pulling cocoons out of the laundry. No, the other one. I crossed my arms and did my best to look parental. Oh, the one that sent my undergarments on a mad dash for freedom. She covered her mouth, trying to hide a gap-toothed grin. I got it right the next time. Don't your clothes smell nicer? They do. Those that aren't hightailing it for the border. It was no use. After two years, I knew I couldn't win. But I kept trying. James and I thought that if we could teach her another skill, something respectable. Try again. Hold the blade flat. The knife goes between the ribs. We practiced a few more times before returning to the cabin. James arrived right after we did. He slipped through the door of our cabin, carrying a string of trout at arm's length. The odor brought Snick scampering into the room, where he stood on his hind paws and waited for his share. "'Let him have a piece,' I said, curious what would happen. Snick had died a few years back, and only Mel's magic kept his spirit around. We had first noticed Mel's magical gifts the day Snick's ghost tromped into the bedroom and poked an icy and insubstantial nose into my armpit. Once I got over my initial bout of panic, I liked him better this way. He made my daughter happy, and I no longer worried about finding hairballs in my boots or disemboweled shrews on the chopping block. James ignored us. He slapped the fish onto the table, grabbed a large knife, and whacked the heads off with four strong chops. Switching his grip, he began to clean his catch with a viciousness that made even Snick back away. Scales, tails, and fins flew in every direction. You realize they're already dead, right? I took my knife back from Mel and used the blade to flick a bit of fin off my sleeve. James' hair was a snarled brown mess. He had pinned up the sleeves of his shirt and the lean muscles of his arms twitched as he worked. His trousers were tucked into mud-stained boots and he smelled of river water. Mel tugged my arm and pointed to the wall. There's a woman coming. James spun so fast his knife-sprayed dots of fish juice on the wall. Expecting anybody? I asked, tightening my grip on the dagger. It's a tall woman, Mel announced, still staring through the wall. She's got a bird on her shoulder, and she dresses really funny. The door opened. Funny was an understatement. Our guest was dressed entirely in feathers. Stiff raven feathers made up the trousers, and her shirt was a shimmering blue trimmed with yellow down. Her eyes were black and shimmered like lamp oil. Shoulder-length green hair hid her ears. She was barefoot, but her feet were so dirty I mistook the skin for leather, a low-quality cowhide at best. A mountain sparrow perched on her shoulder, looking rather dull by comparison. Black stripes came to a point over its eyes, giving it an angry expression. It chirped mindlessly as it studied the cabin. "'Who's this?' I asked. "'Our guest,' leered. "'James, my love, as I promised I've come to take you home.' She walked toward my husband, arms wide. James' face was white. Hello, Bozzy. I was between them before either could blink, and my knife tip hovered a finger width from Bozzy's chest. Perhaps you should explain yourself. Quickly. James caught my arm and pulled. We crashed onto the fish-cleaning table. It was a miracle I didn't stab one of us. I wound up with fishbines jabbing my leg and my husband beneath me in what, under other circumstances, could have been a very enjoyable position. I was too stunned to enjoy myself. James had protected her. Thank you, darling, Bossie said. To me, she said, I've come to rescue him from this hovel. You will raise our children, cook and clean, and make an excellent mate. They gaped at her. James? Clean? I couldn't believe it when James stood up and quietly turned away. Could he possibly want this peacock? Mom, I think she's a cloudling. Mel was staring at the sparrow on Bazi's shoulder. I didn't even know what a cloudling was. Probably something else Mel had learned from her books. Her magic books. James' actions began to make sense. She put a spell on you. Of course. Bozzy smiled and helped my husband to his feet. His feelings for me are as strong, if not stronger, than those he has for you. Magic, was it? I smiled past her. Mel, do your mother a favor and remove the spell. Then turn Bozzy into something... Less bothersome. Another trout, maybe. We can wait for her to suffocate, then add her to the dinner pan. I can't. Melanie could send my underwear on a mountaineering expedition, but she couldn't undo a little love spell? Cloudlings use bird magic. I don't know how it works. Bazi scratched the sparrow's neck. I'm afraid there is no antidote. I scowled at my daughter. Remember this the next time you ask why we hate magic. She ignored me and tugged on Bosie's feathered shirt. How can you and Dad have children? I thought Cloudling Woman didn't have... Shut up, kid. It's complicated. I raised an eyebrow. What sort of things was my daughter learning from those books? I can't undo the spell, but... I think I can still turn her into a trout. "'Mel said thoughtfully. "'She didn't like being snapped at any more than I did. "'We could let Snick play with her!' "'My scowl faded. "'I think I'd like to see that.' "'But your charming father would not,' Bossy said, "'slipping past Mel to sit at our table, "'in my chair, next to my husband. "'If Mel hadn't grabbed my hand, Men and women have killed themselves after the loss of a cloudling lover. Suicidal devotion is a key part of the enchantment. She made a great show of considering the possibilities. Her forehead wrinkled, and her green brows merged over her slender nose. Even if the child succeeded, you would find that James' love remained. A human man and his poor, doomed fish lover. "'It has the makings of a song, don't you think?' "'James wouldn't commit suicide. "'Not James. "'And not over this green-haired fop. "'He was too strong. "'I don't know what kind of humans cloudlings were used to, "'but they had never met my husband. "'He was almost a as me. "'I grabbed my knife. "'Rather, I slapped the empty sheath where my knife had been.' James was still a very talented pickpocket. My confidence vanished and my gut grew heavy. James? I'm sorry, Alicia. I had to strain to hear his whispers. I love you, but whatever she did, it worked. I love her, too. His gaze hardened as he turned to Bosie. Of course, as soon as my wife finds a way to break your spell, there won't be anywhere you can hide. She winked at me. Isn't he cute? I saw his hands tighten on the edge of the table. Even I couldn't get away with calling James cute. I waited for his retort, but his anger quickly faded, driven away by love and magic. James gave me a longing glance, then left the room. Once he was gone, Bosie smiled. Sorry, dear. You lose. For the next few days, Bosie infested our home like a skunk beneath the floorboards. In the rafters, actually, since Bosie preferred to sleep on the roof. Feathers and bird droppings showed up throughout the cabin, on floors, shelves, tables, and even my favorite set of daggers. I tolerated the mess because the price of confrontation was too great. Buzzy laughed at my attempts to talk James out of the spell. I guess she knew what the end result would be. James wouldn't even let me touch him. I do love you, but I love her too. I couldn't bear to lose either of you. Instead, he did the only honest thing he could. He cut himself off from both of us. He slept alone— "'unwilling to betray one by sharing a bed with the other. "'The conflict was tearing him apart, "'and I didn't know how to stop it. "'The energy, the passion, the wit as dry as desert sands, "'all of the things that made James who he was "'were buried by cloudling magic. Logic wouldn't overcome magic. "'Nor could I threaten Bosie. "'Every time I tried, James came to her defense.' I gathered that cloudlings avoided physical combat. Instead, they enchanted others to fight for them. James would serve as protector and slave. Ozzie seemed determined to win him by simply outlasting me. After three days, I decided to ask for help. James was more important than my pride. That night I slipped out and waited at the edge of the woods. "'listening to a distant owl and watching the bats flap around in the moonlight. "'The faint crunch of leaves marked the arrival of my co-conspirator, "'who greeted me with a whispered, "'Mom? "'Did anyone see you?' "'A small hood hid her face, but I imagine her eyes rolled with exasperation. "'Of course not. I used magic. "'I dread the day she becomes a teenager.' I need you to tell me everything you know about cloudlings. Everything I know from my books? My magic books? My jaw tightened. That's right. Does that mean you'll stop trying to make me give up magic? Melanie Lappin? Yes. If you don't help me, Bozzy might never go away. How would you like to have a third parent? She'll be like an obnoxious, overbearing aunt. With feathers. She scowled. My books didn't tell me much. Mostly gossip and rumors. Lots of stories about somebody whose friend's cousin was abducted by cloudlings. The book said it's best to leave them alone. Their birds do all the magic. They tell the birds what kind of spell to cast, but Nobody knows how the magic works. The birds fly off alone to do their spells, so nobody's ever seen them do it. Her round face lit up. Hey! What if I killed the bird? If a wizard dies, does the spell go away? Her shoulders slumped. I guess not. I'm sorry, I don't know anything else. I want to help, but... I knelt on the ground and gave her a tight hug. We'll figure something out. A strutting peacock like Bosie doesn't stand a chance against the most cunning thief in the country. But she already got Dad. Sometimes Mel reminded me a bit too much of her father. Mel and I spent the next two days waiting and spying on Bosie. We took turns, though Mel did most of the watching. Her eyes were sharper, and I couldn't spend too much time around Bosie without wanting to cram that sparrow down her throat. I was in the backyard chopping firewood when Mel came racing through the weeds. Snick bounded along behind her like a rabbit. The sparrow just flew off! She's heading east! She pointed to a fleck of black, almost invisible against the rising sun, I slammed the axe into the chopping block and followed her into the forest. I'm not sure this is going to work, she said. I am. I understood her doubts, though. Not even the best tracker could follow a bird through the air, especially a magical bird. Not unless that tracker had a magical cat. Snick had been licking his chops over that sparrow ever since Bosie arrived. Being dead, Snick couldn't actually hurt anything. That rarely stopped him from trying. I pointed after the sparrow. Get him! Snick sprinted through thorns, trees, and once through a very startled squirrel who didn't dodge quickly enough. We soon lost sight of him, but Mel knew where to go. She always knew where her cat was. We had a harder time of it than Snick. Rather, I had a harder time. Being smaller, Mel had fewer branches to worry about. I think she used magic, too. I know I saw a cluster of wild raspberry lean out of her way. I only wish she had used enough magic to keep the raspberries from springing back and digging prickers into my trousers. Up there, she pointed. I had to carry her over a wide stretch of mud to reach the pond she had indicated. At first, I didn't see anything. We had come at least a mile, and we were high enough in the mountains that the only trees were evergreens. The cool breeze smelled strongly of pine. Where are they? In that tree! I spotted Snick first. He had trapped the sparrow high in a narrow pine, where it stood on the edge of a nest. Its feathers were puffed so fat it looked like the ball for a children's game black beak open wide, it chirped defiantly at Snick. Snick was unimpressed. The spectral tail lashed back and forth as he crept closer. "'Snick! Get down here!' Mel yelled. One pointed ear flicked back, but otherwise the cat ignored her. Nice to know I wasn't the only parent who couldn't control my kid. It's okay. What can he do? Snick, pounced the sparrow screamed i had never heard a bird scream before it flapped so hard that feathers fell like snow and i almost felt sorry for the thing as it tore through needle-thick branches to escape snick pranced gracefully down the trunk until he reached the ground where he proceeded to clean his hindquarters mel hurried over to pet her cat don't ask me how that worked She rubbed where his fur should be, and Snick purred like he could feel it. The one time I tried to pet Snick, it was like plunging my hand into a stream in midwinter. So how long before the sparrow does his magic? Assuming we hadn't scared the thing so badly, its heart had stopped. How should I know? The sparrow fluttered back a while later. It circled four times to make sure the tree was no longer haunted, before settling into the center of the nest. There it began to hop back and forth, chirping merrily to itself as it rearranged bits of fluff and old grass. House cleaning, I asked. She scrunched her forehead. He's doing something, Mom. Up there? Yeah. I guess the height at about thirty, maybe thirty-five feet. I don't suppose you can... I don't know any flying spells. Heights didn't bother me. I could have scaled that tree with my eyes closed and my hands tied. Pine trees have so many branches, it's almost impossible to fall, even if you tried. Unfortunately, pine trees also have pine needles and pine sap and bark that flakes off and gets into everything. By the time I reached the nest, my hair was a tangled mess, my clothes bore dark streaks of sap, and the left side of my face was gritty with bits of bark and more sap. I pulled myself up another few inches, wrapped one arm around a branch for balance, and peeked into the nest. The sparrow puffed up again. It was a spunky little thing. I couldn't bring myself to hurt it. Fortunately, cats weren't hampered by such weaknesses. "'Here, Snick!' "'Sparrow and Cat vanished into the woods, "'leaving me to investigate the nest. "'It seemed like a typical nest to me, "'grass and pine needles and bits of green hair "'woven into a bowl the size of my fist. Three purple eggs, none wider than my little finger, "'sat on a cushion of white down. "'Nothing here but a few eggs!' I yelled. "'It's a bird!' The eggs must be the magic, Mel called back. (sighs) What had I expected? The sparrows wouldn't write long, spidery scrolls or lug around heavy, leather-bound tomes. They were birds. Birds laid eggs. That left only one question. What should I do with them? We didn't know what the eggs did or how to use them. I'd been hoping to find an antidote, despite... Bozzie's claim that none existed. Could Mel use these eggs to figure out how cloudling magic worked? Bring them down. Carefully. That wasn't my daughter's voice. My knife was in my hand and ready to throw before Bazzi finished speaking. My other hand held the branch, keeping me steady. If you hurt Mel... Bazzi laughed at me gods above. I'm not going to harm James' daughter. She tried to pat Mel on the head, saw the look on her face, and thought better of it. On the other hand, if you don't cooperate, maybe I'll slip one of those eggs into Mel's food. She could grow up to make a fine wife for my brother. I wish James could have heard. If anything would break Bozzy's spell, it was a threat against our daughter. MEL ANSWERED BEFORE I COULD FIND MY VOICE. TRY IT! I COULDN'T LET THEM FIGHT. MEL COULDN'T KILL Bosie WITHOUT ENDANGERING JAMES. Bosie MIGHT HAVE BEEN BLUFFING ABOUT THAT, BUT I COULDN'T TAKE THE CHANCE. NOR DID I TRUST Bosie NOT TO CARRY THROUGH ON HER THREAT. MEL COULDN'T PROTECT HERSELF EVERY MINUTE OF THE DAY. ALL Bosie HAD TO DO WAS SNEAK IN SOME NIGHT WHILE MEL WAS SLEEPING AND SLIP AN ENCHANTED EGG INTO HER MOUTH. Wait! I scooped up the three eggs and a bit of down, tucked them into a leather pouch, and clenched the drawstring in my teeth. I descended slowly, taking no chances with the egg's safety. Bosie counted the eggs. From her shoulder, the sparrow chirped furiously at me. Excellent. This should solve our problem nicely. How? James' love for you is stronger than I expected. I should have given him a bigger dose. She gave me a small salute. These should tip the balance. I've enjoyed our game, but James must come with me before first frost, if our child is to be born early enough in the summer to survive. She slipped the eggs into a padded pocket on her shirt. If it's a girl, perhaps we'll name her after you. I shoved her against a tree before rationality caught up with me. My fingers crushed the blue feathers of her shirt. I could smell her breath like spoiled fruit. If I killed her, I could be killing James as well. If I destroyed the eggs, Bosie would simply get more from that sparrow. If I antagonized her in any way, I put Mel at risk. What now, friend? she asked. I opened my hands, brushed at her shirt to erase the marks of my hands, and let her go. See you back at the house. Bozzie whistled an old shepherd song as she walked away. What do we do now? Mel asked. We go home. I insisted on cooking my own farewell dinner. Maybe it was the martyr in me. Maybe I just wanted to see the look on Bozzy's face when I shoved a roast quail under her pointed little nose. I would have used mountain spares, but they had too little meat to bother with, even if I had been able to catch one. Nobody said a word. On any other day, I would have taken that as a tribute to my culinary skills. In addition to half a dozen quail, all basted and imported and aided in car spices, we had golden biscuits with raspberry jam, wine from up north, and corn so fresh the farmer didn't even know it had been picked. This isn't going to work, Alicia. James jabbed a fork at his biscuit. I don't want you to leave. So get rid of the cloudling. Ever the fighter, Bozzy said around a mouthful of corn. I admire your spirit, and I wish you luck in finding another man to warm your bed. Somehow I kept my temper in check. Did Bosie know how close she had come to swallowing that ear of corn whole? "'Why are you giving up?' Mel demanded. This was the first she had spoken to me since we left the woods that morning. Her eyes shone, but she refused to let the tears fall. "'If I stay, we'll be miserable. You? Me? Your father? Maybe even Bosie. though her comfort was the least of my priorities.' This is ripping your father apart. The only way to stop it is for one of us to leave. That's very noble of you, Bosie said, helping herself to a biscuit. James cocked his head. Yes, it is, he said curiously. Very noble. No matter how strong a bond Bosie's magic forged, she still didn't know my husband well enough to recognize the suspicion in his voice. "'Nor did she know me enough to understand "'that I ranked nobility right up with leprosy "'on my list of least favorite diseases. "'I spoke quickly to keep her attention on me. Bosie, promise that you'll treat him well. "'See that he's happy.' "'How could he be otherwise?' "'She polished off the biscuit "'and gently patted the pocket that held the eggs. "'He may pine over you for a brief time, but I assure you his grief will be short-lived. I walked over to her chair. She shifted and raised her hands. Was she afraid that, having lost everything, I would risk one last assault? She needn't have worried. Like cloudlings, I preferred the indirect approach. I bent down to whisper. Will you need both of those eggs, do you think? Three eggs she corrected, giving me a fond pat on the cheek. I smiled. She smiled back. And a bit of genuine affection shone through the arrogance. I lowered my voice even further. Are you sure? Bozzy chuckled and checked her pocket. Those glassy eyes widened, and the way her mouth opened and shut made her resemble her sparrow. Where is the third egg? I scratched my chin. Hm If I remember right, the last time I saw it was... Oh, yes. I think I may have accidentally dropped it into the batter when I was making your biscuit. But... Conflicting emotions battled across her features. Horror and hatred propelled her out of the chair. But I wasn't worried. Cloudling magic had overcome even James' stubbornness. Bosie had no chance. Love triumphed. The expression on her face became one of adoration. That's brilliant, my love. She moved toward me, one arm reaching toward my cheek as the other moved to a pocket on the side of her shirt and pulled out a dark brown egg. "'I caught her wrist and bent her fingers back "'so that the egg dropped safely into my palm. "'The antidote, I guessed. "'The one that doesn't exist?' "'She had to bite her lip to keep from speaking. "'You wouldn't lie to me, would you?' "'I blinked innocently. "'Darling?' "'Her lips trembled. "'The egg will counter the spell.' Thank you. I leaned across the table and dropped the egg into James' hand. For a second I was afraid he wouldn't take it. If magic-induced love and loyalty made him refuse the antidote, then my entire plan had failed. James smiled at me. The same brilliant, impish, loving smile I remembered from the night we got married in Car the same smile he often shared with me as we watched Mel play with the squirrels in front of the cabin. He ate the egg whole, crunching the shell with relish and washing it down with the rest of his wine. "'That was the only egg I had,' Fozzie said softly. "'My attention was on my husband.' "'James?' He grabbed my shirt and gave me a long, hard kiss. Then he turned to Bosie. Boshy loved me. Trapped by her own spell, she probably felt such devotion that she would have died rather than leave me. The look on James' face promised much worse than death. Boshy fled so fast she dislodged her sparrow. It fluttered around the chairs, trying to find a way out. With a loud roar, "'Snick smacked a paw through the sparrow's head, "'scaring it in the general direction of the open door. "'Do you think she'll be back?' I said. "'She was in love with me, after all. "'I wondered how long it would take her sparrow "'to create another antidote egg. "'I hadn't really thought that far ahead.' "'I hope so.' "'The malice in James's voice was enough "'that I almost wished Bozzy luck.' To change the subject, I asked him a question I'd been holding back for two weeks now. How could you let a woman who looked like that slip you a love potion? James hated being embarrassed. He flushed, but rather than answer my question, he tightened his grip on my arms and pulled me close. The other jabs i had planned were soon forgotten. I'm going to my room to read my magic books, Mel announced. I broke away long enough to say, "'That's nice.' "'Nice?' James asked, his lips so close they tickled my chin. "'I thought we didn't want her to study magic. "'I didn't know how to explain my change of heart, "'so I kissed him. "'I planned to do a lot of that "'to make up for the past few weeks. "'Knowing James, he wouldn't mind one bit.'
2: After the story, the feedback. Listeners who liked episode number 11, John Shawstall's 14 Experiments in Postal Delivery, liked it a lot. Quite a few commenters said they loved it, or else that it was their favorite podcast so far. On the blog, Tyson of the NW said... I loved the artistic surrealism, and the fixating on the single ski. As someone who has on occasion sent odd packages through the USPS, I enjoyed the characterization of the beshorted parcel handlers and their reactions to the missives. Dave N.J., after saying he'd liked the story, said, I really enjoy the surreal stories being published on PodCastle. They may not be traditional, but sometimes hearing something new or different is preferable to something a bit formulaic. I like having no idea where a story is going, as long as it ends well. On the board, Brian Deacon said, Solid story, but a great reading by Heather. I do always enjoy a story where the surrealism keeps growing as the plot progresses. And more than one commenter complimented Heather Lindsley's reading. Those who disliked it seemed to have disliked it strongly. On the blog, George said it was the worst story he'd ever heard anywhere. Thomas O&M called it a disgusting piece of work. On the board, a discussion broke out over the relationship between the two main characters. As Ragtime pointed out, there's a huge gap between you're too much of a perfectionist and you should forgive the controlling, obsessive freak who has cheated on you twice that you are aware of and is still in possession of your stolen ski. Some seem to find this aspect of the story troubling, while others found it realistic. Come over to forum.escapeartist.info and give us your take on it. PodCastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else in our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartists.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. A Chinese proverb says, If you want to catch a sparrow, you have to spill a little rice.